from Beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Rush Darwish, Republican Jeannie Ives, and Libertarian Eric Cohn, and in hour number two, we'll be joined by Reverend Keith Draper of World Relief Chicagoland. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Nice to have you with us. We have lots to talk about. The, the world has had significant developments in the last week since we have been with you this evening. But thank you very much for joining us. 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number. We're coming to you from our studios at WIND AM 560 in beautiful Elk Grove Village just outside Chicago. Nice to have you with us this evening. Uh, I want to begin, uh, we've got guests on this evening who, who have not been on with each other before, so I, I, you've already introduced yourselves to each other, but I want to get a reaction. Jeannie, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you're a Republican. Uh, you are a graduate of West Point. Look at where we are right now in Afghanistan and give us your prediction of what is likely to happen next. Well, I think what's likely to happen next is a uh, massive hostage situation, but they won't call it that. There will simply be Afghani nationals who have helped the U.S. military left behind. There will be Americans that are left behind. There will be other Afghanis that will be persecuted in the wake of our withdrawal. There is no doubt, and I am told that in some cases the gates of Kabul airport have been welded shut. They are going to shut down this mission. We'll be out of there August 31st, and whoever's left is left, creating a crisis uh, that like, like none other, and I think that is very predictable. And there's so much more to talk about it, but that's my okay, first good. assessment. Rush Darwish is our Democrat. Rush, nice to have you with us. You ran Thank for you. Congress a couple of years ago. But uh, uh, same question to you. Uh, again, not looking in the rearview mirror and pointing blame right now, but what happens next and what do we do? Well, there's no doubt. I mean, this is what I call short-term pain, long-term gain. We understand that strategically we have to call it the way it is. It did not work out the way that the Biden administration wanted it to work out. Mm -hmm. uh, we lost soldiers. But we have to look into the future. And the reality is this was a complete botched war. Um, nothing was gained for it except loss of soldiers, uh, trillions of dollars of tax money. The time has come. And I'm not here trying to salute President Biden, but he had to take that step. A president mm -hmm. had to take that step. Obama wouldn't do it. Trump didn't do it. And now, finally, Biden has done it. He set a timeline to get the troops out of there, send them home safely, and I think it's a step okay. in the right direction. So get, getting out is the right thing to do, the way we did it, the wrong thing. Let's go to our libertarian and find out from Eric Cohen. Eric, uh, what's your take on what is likely to happen next? What's likely to happen next is uh, more or less what Jeannie said, only I think she has unders undersold it in that there are an untold number of Americans who are still there. So what the United States is doing in deciding to surrender its position in Afghanistan and surrender it in the way that it has chosen to do it without any real fore planning, without any of the lead up that would be necessary to get equipment, to get personnel, to get intelligence out of there, is going to surrender the United States to a hostage crisis of untold proportions. And it is doing so as a choice. Now, look, I have said for probably about 10 years since we got Osama bin Laden that the United States should get out of Afghanistan. 
However, we have had a failure of political leadership in order to properly frame this issue and say, this is what it's costing us right now, and this is what we're getting. And what we're seeing, what, what Rush said, which I think is interesting the way he phrased it, um, to you know get, get soldiers out of there safely, We've had more casualties in the last week than we saw in any previous year for the last five years. So the idea that this is uh, some kind of a big win or that we're going to realize gain from this anytime in the near future, even as someone who thought we should have been out 10 years ago, I think is just not a cost-benefit analysis that you can calculate Eric, right now. To, a question to you, Eric. Do you believe that the administration has said that they're, they're engaging in conversation with the Taliban, the Taliban allegedly, according to them, is assisting them in some ways. Do you trust the Taliban at all to provide information to them so that they can put this thing behind them as well? No. You don't. I don't know why anybody would. I, I don't know what the calculus is that says the Taliban is going to be something that's trustworthy. I mean, one of the bizarro things about this whole situation is the way that it was rushed into. It's worth noting. I know, Bruce, you said you don't want to get into the, the backwards looking, but we I think later, some analysis yeah. of mm -hmm. how we got here yeah. is necessary that the path that Donald Trump put us on to get us out even earlier and quicker and more hastily than Biden put us on was only changed by Joe Biden because of this bizarro idea that it was going to sync up with the 20th anniversary of September 11th, mm -hmm. which is a major propaganda victory for the Taliban. Right. But 20 years later, they're looking like they beat us. Why they would be have any interest in helping us in doing anything other than humiliating the United States more than they already have is beyond me. It was idiotic for the Trump administration oh. to trust them, to okay. want to bring them to Camp David, which we've suddenly forgotten about. But it's also idiotic that the Biden administration is trusting them, providing them intelligence, thinking that they're going to be a reliable but partner there, in anything. But, it's all insane. But is there, Rush, is there a reason for the Taliban to concern themselves on how this is playing to the world community. I mean, they're they're running out of money. And the you know the the, the international monetary funds got them by the by the short hairs. Uh, the United States is holding a lot of money. They will need money to operate, and 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 they will have to genuflect in some way to get a piece of that so they can survive with their administration. So don't they have to, even though they may not want to play fair. Don't they have to for their own future? The bottom line is this. The United States, sadly and unfortunately, we signed up for this. We knew the intel of Taliban, and we can't work with them. Here's the problem. You have the lesser of two evils. You either deal with Taliban and try and work with them, or we deal with ISIS, which have now made their way back in Afghanistan, and they're the ones causing all the chaos. So when it's all said and done, you have to at least try and work with them and find a path to get our soldiers out. And yes, which I know we're going to talk about as well, the refugees that are now stranded and want out as well. What do we do with them? This war, these are the questions that we had to always answer. And finally, that moment is here, and Biden is answering. And we're not saying that he's making the right decisions right off the bat, but he's taking us in the path that we need to go, which is to get out of there as soon as possible. Jeannie. No, so, so Russia's going down the whole idea, you just need to rip the Band-Aid off and whatever pain comes, go, pain comes. That is not true. Well, it's, 20, yeah, it's a 20-year Band-Aid. No, no. 20-year no, Band-Aid. Hey, listen, I'm not a favor of being there either. I got a son who's a Navy pilot. You think I'm a – you know, I got friends who have served over there. I know the stories from this. I'm not a fan of us being there. In fact, I was with a bunch of my West Point friends at a memorial service last uh, weekend, and all of us agreed we should have been out there 19 years ago. We should have been out of there 19 years ago. 
The mission has not been sold to the public as the way that it should have been sold. And what it became, though, over the last few years, and specifically since Trump got in office, was more of an intel gathering um, uh, process, which is very important. More and more now we're finding out the significance of Bagram Air Base and where it sits strategically in the world as a center where we should have held on to that as an asset to, to combat Russian or Chinese or Iranian aggression in the future. That was an asset that we built up. We spent 300 to 400 million dollars building and invite, bringing that infrastructure. 2,500 people, 2,500 soldiers there to do intel operations is not a big commitment. Nobody told us about it that way. Nobody talked about it in those terms. Nobody said it's been since February 2020 that we'd lost one person. And, and this is Russia and this did is the same. Problem. And they, Russia did the, the same, and Folks, they failed as we have well. To, we have to break back shortly from Chicago. Don't go away. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you. Your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. 
Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with uh, Jeannie Ives and uh, Rush Darwish and also with Eric Cohn. And uh, nice to have you with us. 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number should you want to uh, weigh in and offer your assessment as to what do we do next. I know there's a lot of people that want to just look in the in the rearview mirror and point blame, and there's lots to blame to, uh, to spread around, but I want to focus on the future. And uh, Jeannie, I want to begin with one question to you, which is about the military. When we look at who screwed up here, conservatives usually like to point to the State Department or they like to point to the Democratic president. The Democratic president in this case is that he listened to the advice of his military people who said that you know, closing Bagram would not be such a big deal. I'm paraphrasing there now. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a military person, uh, does the military... Uh, should some of the blame rightfully go towards them for screwing this up? Uh, absolutely, 100%. And I think what you have is you have military that has become very politicized, especially at the upper echelons. And so they're trying to do whatever their commander-in-chief who gave them that position of authority wants them to do. And in some cases, they're not being honest about about what they need to actually complete the mission. And so, I, I, you know, General So you think someone at the, you think someone at the State Department was was saying several months ago to the military people at the Pentagon, hey, we want to close Bagram. You think you think that came from some other source other than well, the if Pentagon? You listen, you, no, if you listen to General Milley, he basically says that the, the mission changed to we need to protect the embassy. Kabul airport was the closest airport to the embassy. And they was, said he was rejected the amount of people that he needed in order to keep uh, Bagram the Bagram Air Force uh, open, which is, but it's foolish. You know, he should have gone back in and said, this is a strategic asset that we must keep open. What are we going to do with the 5,000 prisoners that are kept there? They'll they'll have to be released. We have no ways to protect them. This should have been an organized uh, and and well-executed evacuation, getting everybody out first, and then the finally you, you take off from the final aspect. I mean, but here's what's really disturbing. I mean, General McKenzie, who is the central command, uh, he, he's in charge of the evacuation. He said, in response to the 13 who were killed in the suicide bomb, he said, we thought this would happen sooner or later. Right there, right there. They did not plan well, they did not execute well, and this is, this is they, are, they own this. I think they should all resign. Uh, I think Biden should have taken more of the heat for it, and they should be out. So in retrospect, Rush, in your view, should should the parameter uh, at that gate should that have been obviously parameter. it should have been protected better but again it seems to me is this one of these things that they were relying on the Taliban to do the security and by the way when you've got chaos going on I, I mean it it shouldn't have been rocket scientists to anyone to to believe that some suicide bomber was going to get in there I mean I, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't had three more since then but I mean, I'm, I'm talking about this, which seems to me to be a military mistake, either by not having more Marines surrounding the parameter or by relying on the Taliban to make the decision of who gets close enough to get into that gate. There's a sad truth when it comes to anyone who is possessed to want to blow themselves up. Yeah. It's extremely difficult to have intelligence on that. You don't know where they come from. You don't know their age. You don't know their size. And every president and any general knows this. 
And this is why when we talked about this evacuation, when they said we saw it coming, yeah, they kind of saw it coming, but they don't know exactly how to identify it. This was bound to happen, and sadly, it will probably keep happening. So what we have to do is find a way and find a path to get our soldiers out, but it will not be easy. But in terms of the long term, where I do disagree is that I don't believe that it's going to be this long-term hostage situation. I feel that our, we want to bring our soldiers home, look into the refugee crisis that will ensue, and let's see if there's a solution that we can have, and let's try and worry about homeland security than spending trillions of dollars in Afghanistan. Eric, are you, are you surprised that the United States does not know uh, or, or may not share publicly, and I understand why they wouldn't share it publicly, but they seem to be very evasive as to how many Americans are still in Afghanistan. Does that surprise you? It, it's surprising if it's true that they don't actually know. Right. But their posture, no matter what, is shocking and disgusting that we're going to get as many people out as we can before the clock runs out. That this is just not the way that the United States has ever operated. The idea that we are going to abandon American citizens. You know, and, and then beyond that, of course, the Afghanis who, uh, who have every right to come here as well, who hold SID status, uh, that we are going to just say, oh, well, you know, we're, we're going to do as much as we can to possibly get you out there. I mean, if you want to go back to 1904, a single U.S. Uh, citizen taken hostage by an uh, an African warlord brought the possibility of major military action. And now we are going to surrender an untold number of Americans to a hostage crisis that is going to be uh, greater in size and scale than the Iranian hostage crisis was. And we're going to, again, do it because of a choice that we made is just baffling to me. And the way that they continue to say that, you know, and from what I understand now, it seems like the efforts to get people out have, are now completely over, even before the 31st deadline, two days before the 31st deadline, that they're just saying they're even putting the blame on Americans to say, well, people who wanted to get out will get them out, as if it is their fault that the conflicting information, that the rapid pace at which this is conducted is the fault of Americans in Afghanistan. It is despicable and it should not be the case. And yet here we are. Well, also in the last 72 hours, you've had a great I think very conflictive uh, comments. Uh, you you have initially that Americans who are in Afghanistan are supposed to get to the airport on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there have been several cases where there's been an extraction uh, by helicopter to bring people in, but they basically said you got to get to the airport by yourself. And then in the last 24 hours, the message from the President of the United States has been uh, there's going to be a terror attack at the airport. So do you come to the airport knowing that there's going to be a terror attack or do you stay the hell home? I mean, I mean, I don't even house I don't even know how someone who's trapped uh, responds just to, to, to that question. Right? I, I, I agree with you 100 percent. There's no doubt that this is a hot mess and the Biden administration have a lot of questions they have to answer fast. And I know we said we don't want to talk too much about the past, well, but this is the irony of this war is that we lost so many soldiers um, we lost the mission of why we were there in the first place. I don't even know what the mission is anymore. It was 20 years ago. So this is the, ir- one- this is the irony yeah. of the drawout, is that the, there were botches along the way, and, it just, and here we are on the final front. It just, but, it's, but there's, there's, one, there's, one, there's one thing Excuse to consider, though. There's one thing considering about it, and this is bipartisan. Donald Trump won the Republican primary because he said he was going to do this. He was the president of the United States who basically said, here's a date, we're getting out. 
Okay, and and also because the the optics weren't the the timing wasn't right, the contract wasn't being followed. He was he was throwing out red lines and said we're but not. But Jeannie, the American, but the American people were not and saying. We even agree. even today, the American people are basically saying we don't want we don't want any more troops in Afghanistan. They're saying that now. On the other hand, they're on saying the we want to we want to protect our Americans. Question. It's how you ask the question. Do you, do you ask the American people, do you want troops in Afghanistan and leave it open, open-ended, or do you say, do you mind if we, if, that, if we leave a residual force of 2,500 who are there to gather and collect intel and, and support the Afghani people and also tack down on any other terrorism that's going on so that we know, and, we, and by the way, we've not had a casualty for 18 months, and you say, are we willing to do that, maybe draw it down more? Those are two different questions to the American people. Do you want to be safe at home by, by be, having this forward base? And by the way, we still have plenty of troops in South Korea. We still have plenty of troops in right. Europe. And we have still plenty of troops in Japan. And listen, and I say this as somebody who thinks that our troops should be out of Afghanistan. However, leaving a small intelligence uh, force there mm-hmm. who is there to support the Afghani people may have been a better option. And certainly, you cannot excuse away any of this with Biden's way that he handled the evacuation. It is despicable. It's harmful. It should have never happened this way. And I'm telling you, generals' heads should roll right now. And there's plenty of sub-military uh, that are saying the same thing, uh, lower levels. They all there, know that they, this was a botched, botched uh, Also, uh, this, is, this, is, this is part of, I've said we're not going to look at the rearview mirror, but it's hard to, to avoid to. the rearview mirror. But let's let's go back again because you made the point, and I, I totally agree. This is a bipartisan botch up, because when you go back to the original, when this all began in the wake of 9/11, when everybody was gung ho, everyone says, "Go, let, let's go get those bastards." All that was going on, no one, including Dick Cheney and and George Bush, who were explaining this to America and the world, when America goes to war, 50 or 60 years later, we're still there. We're still in Germany. We're still in Japan. We're still in Korea. I mean, that's the way it. That's the way it meant. John John uh, McCain was someone who did say that. He was the one that said this has got to be explained better to the American people. And the people that soft peddled it then, they were Bush and Cheney at the moment. You got to you got to acknowledge. And, and don't that. forget, Bush and Cheney also added another war in the process with Iraq, right. which again another botch war. Another they, an, they another removed. another issue. But again, I'm but, just but talking no, about the basic are, thing. But it is connected, Bruce. With all due respect, no, it's, it's it connected from the standpoint that it was this: we're going to take on Al Qaeda, and that's why Jeannie, with all due respect, 2,500 troops isn't enough. It's either you're all in or not. 2,500 troops with Al Qaeda coming in, which clearly we did not defeat. The Taliban you can't trust, and who knows what other extremist Listen, group? It, uh, it's either you're all in or you're not. Right. And right well, now, now we have no Jeannie, way to Jeannie. track them over. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case no before. Way. In a, years Eric, leading up to this, Eric, it wasn't the case. Eric, go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. Eric, it, it, was, it wasn't the case in the years leading up this. We had about 2,500, 3,000 troops that were in there providing support to the Afghan Defense Forces, mm-hmm. who we had trained for the purpose of fighting alongside us. And now, if we mm-hmm. were going to get out of there, the thing to do years ago would have been to start training Afghan Defense Forces, the Afghan Army, to fight on their own. But we didn't do that. They did, we Eric. We taught them we and trained them they and did, told Eric. them that we would be there supporting they them. They did, and they failed. And we pulled air cover. When we pulled intelligence, they, they melted okay. away, and it shouldn't okay. have been a Surprise. Okay, we've got 2,500, 3,000 troops or so. We were maintaining 
minimal casualties over we've the got, last several years. The Eric, we got a break. We had a functioning government there. Go Eric, back we got to break. Back shortly. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly. Between... This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. Right now, we will let each of our guests introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with Jeannie Ives, who's been a guest on this program for many years. But again, uh, for those around the country, they may not... Uh, remember from uh, month to month but go ahead Jeannie. Uh, thank you for having me on Bruce. Yes I've been on I think since 2014. I am a former state rep uh, here in the state of Illinois. I'm a West Point graduate. I also ran for governor and for Congress um, unsuccessfully but I learned a lot in the process. 
So that's why I'm also the mother of five, and I have two. Uh, I have a child who's a Navy pilot and one at West Point right now. Will you run again? Uh, you never say never. <laughs> okay. Uh, also with us is Eric Cohn. He has been with us for many, many years, and he joins us from his uh, new home base in the state of Michigan. Eric, give us a little background on your new gig. Uh, Director of Communications at the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, where our mis mission is to uh, combine uh, good intentions with sound economics, which uh, the sound economics part is so often missing from the good intentions part of all of it. Um, and I was also previously a uh, radio host on the uh, August Home Station uh, here, 560 The Answer, where with my friend Joe Kaiser, we hosted Sources with Knowledge for a couple of years on that station and uh, eternally grateful for that opportunity Very they gave good. us. Glad you're with us this evening, even though it's uh, from uh, several hundred miles away. Uh, Rush Darwish joins us. This is his first visit on our program. But, Rush, uh, I, I nice guess, to have you with us. I'm the rookie of the show. So but thank you for having me on. Rush Darwish, president of the Arab American Business and Professional Association, an activist for the Arab American and Muslim community in Chicago and beyond. Did run for Congress, ran short. Uh, after my congressional run, I co-founded a group called The Running Refugees, and we run various races to support refugee causes both globally and domestically. And, uh, of course, we are very blessed to be here. And, Jeannie, i got to tell you, your governor, uh, when you ran for governor, I thought you were going to pull off the upset there. I was, That's awesome. Yeah, it was close, Good very one. close. So she said never say never. So it looks like uh, <laughs> if you want to make the announcement here on the show, no, no, I could, Bruce, I'm pretty sure you would I, like to I, have I that lift, right? I would, I, would, I, I, would, I would accept it. But let, let me also mention that uh, uh, we are now going to uh, take a moment. to. I'm going to tell you about something that we're going to do. Uh, or last week I mentioned that we were going to do it, but I want you to remember this. On September 12th, last week, I said that we were going to play the two-hour show we did from Sweden, Stockholm, Sweden, following several days following the attack on 9-11. But a change. We're not going to do that because so much is going on in the world. I want to still have a contemporary program that will be on the radio and on YouTube and on Facebook that night. However, we will be playing the entire program on our Facebook and on our YouTube and on our website. So you'll be able to listen to that actually for the whole week. And again, it's, it's, it'll be, it'll, actually it'll be 20 years uh, to the date that we're going to present the program to you and this is this is my instant reaction or semi-instant reaction with guests uh, in studio Gada Tilhami the professor from uh, uh, Lake Forest College was th with us then you'll hear her again and also Art Sear from Carthage College you'll hear him again this is a okay. this is uh, a very interesting I've listened to the program it's it's a fascinating moment in time that we will share with you but it will be on our digital platform and uh, not on our radio platform that night let's go to Dave who's listening to us in Spokane Washington on KXLY go ahead Dave Hey, Bruce. Thanks for taking my call. Good. Um, well, this Afghanistan thing, I, I just have to hit a couple points I heard you guys talking about. One is uh, I can't stand when I hear the American people think this, that, or the other thing on topics that the American people as a whole 
really don't have the intelligence on to really make a good decision. And what I don't like is a politician will look at the polls and say, where do the American people stand? Well, I guess that's where I stand. A leader, on the other hand, will make the right decision, what they believe is the right decision, and then they will explain that to the American people. And you know what? If the American people don't agree with them, they'll vote them out of office. I'm just sick of politicians that look for where the wind's blowing, for what, what, where do the people think. Because just for example, this Afghanistan thing, that whoever said it was either all in or not, like 2,500 people is not enough, that's for all due respect, all respect to that person, they don't know what they're talking about. I mean, 2,500 people was working just fine for the last multiple years here, and you know who was doing the most uh, dying in, in this war? It was the Afghan fighters themselves. They were losing thousands of people, but they were defending their country. We were in a supportive role. When they lost us as sort of big brother over their shoulder, that's a big reason that they cut tail and ran, because they didn't feel like they had the security of knowing that our intelligence and our air support assets were there to help them in this transition. And i got to talk about South Korea. Look at South Korea. How long have we been there? How many troops do we still have there? We still have about 28 to 29,000 right. troops yeah. in South Korea. We still have 15 bases in South Korea. So... It, it, to keep 2,500 to even 3,000 people in Afghanistan is a bargain. That is a bargain to, rate, to maintain a relative stability mm -hmm. and sort of a, a you know, not, not necessarily a ceasefire, but sort of a stalemate between all the sides. To, for, for what we were going to get, and I stand with, if you look at Jocko Willenick and Rob O'Neill, two special right. operators mm -hmm. from the Navy SEALs, the, the closer you get to looking at special operators and what they think, you'll find that they believe by and large, as a whole, that, yeah, it was a much better idea to keep a small group of people there for intel and air support, small special operator force. Dave, let me introduce, or inter interrupt, rather, and Sorry. ask you the question that I asked at the beginning of the program. Don't look in the rearview mirror. What do you do now? If you, if you could whisper in the ear of the president right now, what would you tell him to do? Yeah, right now he, he's gotten himself into a quagmire is the problem. He knows he's, that, he's I'm sure. Be, he's letting himself be run over by the Taliban listening to what they want to say. I say you take the reins and say, you know what, we're not going to be you know, put down as a small little country by this ragtag team of Taliban. We're going to tell them, you know what, this is what we're going to do. And if you disobey what we're telling you we want to do and as far as getting our troops out, and we're going to maintain, I would really take back Bagram. I would yes. take back Bagram. Leave it, get, tell them we're going to leave the special forces there. We're going to leave the group we were going to leave before. We're going to take out everybody we want to take out. And you just lay down the law. If they try and go against us, it's not like we have to put 200,000 people back in. We could take back, you know, the Bagram Air Base and take control of that area and get the Afghan people, you know, back together with a much smaller group than 100,000 people. I would literally take it back over because that's what I, th I think the mistake was made of, of pulling out like that. I would put back get back to where eventually two or three years down the road we're back down to 2,500 to 3,000 people keep the Afghan army together hopefully you get the president to come back out of hiding the vice president is at least there I would make I would hope that he would run for president because the Afghan president turned out to be a coward uh, the vice president is still there but yeah I just I would not bow down to the Taliban okay Dave, I, we, Dave we let me uh, well, uh, hang, on, hang on stay on the line I, I'm surprised that I didn't hear that uh, suggestion earlier in the program when I asked it because I think that would be my answer at the moment and again I don't know whether the American people would support it or not maybe they would uh, maybe this is a way for uh, even the president to to, to rethink uh, the advice of his military advisors and and I have no idea what the what the troop numbers would be but whatever they would be it would seem to be a way to help resolve the problem 
by by you know, by bringing more troops to Bagram and reopening Bagram. I, I well, want to get your reaction. No, this I, I, is a great suggestion. I want to hear from everybody on this. Well, I actually would have gone there. It's just the, the, the way that you asked the question. I mean, and what, what does the future look like? I mean, the, what does the future have to look like? We have to take, we have to get our Americans and our ally, uh, our allies out of there safely. That We don't leave people behind like this. And we need to reestablish a presence there as well for intelligence gathering. And here's what happens. It's a lot different now, 2001 Afghanistan, than it is 2020. 21 Afghanistan. They now have $85 billion worth of sophisticated weaponry that we left behind and put in their hands. All of that needs to be routed up and taken away. It's going to go on the black market for sale. It's going to be used against the Afghani people. It's going to be used against Americans if they can do it. So, I mean, this 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 is a problem. I mean, and, and if we left helicopters or anything, if we can't get that out, we need to go ahead and special forces need to go in and, and take, it, take it out ourselves bomb it in place. I mean, we have a lot of cleanup that needed to be done ahead of time, and Joe Biden's arbitrary deadline to get us out of uh, Afghanistan is a problem that must be corrected. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to go back to what Dave is saying and also what Jeannie mentioned earlier in the show about the 2,500 troops. Uh, we have to face it. The idea was to train these soldiers in Afghanistan right. to hold their own, uh, to give them weapons in order to defend themselves and to protect their country. Absolute disaster even when the president is the first one to flee president ghani was the first one of the first people to flee the country can you imagine our president fleeing the yeah. country in the middle of a war what do you expect from there so this idea that we're trying to grow this military there we have to look at people's ideology and i think what, what i'm really shocked about and i know we're now going way back i'm surprised that the united states didn't look back into the early 80s this group called the mujahideen mm -hmm. which was a group that was led by, and here we go, here's a news flash by Osama bin Laden. This was his group, and he was trying to take on the Taliban. The Russians were trying to aid him. And guess what? They failed too. The Russians failed too. China has tried to come in. They failed. The United States, unfortunately, they came in with this idea that they have the muscle to take care of whatever problem they want to take care of with weapons of mass destruction. And now they failed. So no, the idea that we're trying to aid this country, the idea that we're trying to support the Afghani people, they don't want our support. Now, I know, Jeannie, with respect... Well, there are still you, some you Afghan have, resistance you, now, you have, fighters go, that you, are taken into them talk about the soldiers, and I can't, I don't have any knowledge on that in terms of your, your family and the soldiers who are on the ground. But I got to say this. I have family and friends who are from Afghanistan, and they talk to their family, and guess what? They don't want America there. Matter of fact, the majority of Afghanis, and this is going to really surprise your audience, they don't even know why the United States is there. These people live in tribal areas. They don't know anything about 9-11. It doesn't even register in their mind. So I'm just trying to give everyone an idea that this debauchery of this war is so bad that it goes even beyond what's happening right now in the airport. When we come, I'm not when we come back, building, if that's what you're talking about. When, when we come back, uh, Eric, you've been very quiet, and uh, we're going to bring you into the conversation, and we're going to start the uh, se next segment uh, with Eric Cohn, who will be joining us, presenting the libertarian perspective this evening on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks for joining us tonight from coast to coast and border to border. song again for the hundredth time today here's that song again it's gonna be stuck in your head all day here's
that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Yay! Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. At Social Security, we are always thinking of ways to save you time and make things easier. That's why we created My Social Security. A My Social Security account allows you to access your earnings history and benefits information, request a replacement Social Security card, get a proof of income letter, estimate and apply for benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at SSA.gov slash my account. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us. But our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. A reminder, uh, after the, uh, or in the next hour of our broadcast, we are going to be joined by uh, Reverend uh, Keith Draper. He heads the uh, World Relief Chicagoland effort, and this is one of the, the major NGOs that is now uh, working in Afghanistan and around the world uh, to bring uh, refugees to the United States. He's going to explain the process. He's going to give you an opportunity to ask questions about it because it is a very, very tough uh, situation. Uh, before the break, I mentioned uh, that Eric Cohen was going to come back and make some comments because he was sort of a, he was talked out of that last segment by our other guests. So, <laughs> Eric, I know you've been chomping at the bit to jump in. So go ahead, jump in. Oh, you found the two people who make it hard for me to get a word in edgewise. That's an accomplishment, Bruce. Um, so you, you said I would give the libertarian response, and I, I'll say up front that I'm I'm a bit of a bad libertarian on this, at least amongst my libertarian friends. So mm -hmm. let, let me address three sure. things from that last conversation. 
Uh, one, what do we do now? We send as many troops in there as necessary to get all Americans out, get all people out who have a right to come to the United States and evacuate as many refugees as we possibly can and bring them out of the country. That's the first right thing to do. Now, what we do securing beyond ba- that is securing, open se- conversation. Securing, does, that, does, that mean, like, does that mean securing yep. Bagram, though? I mean, if, as part of your answer. I would think it would. Okay, I would think so, too. I would think it would mean securing Bagram. I, 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 you know, I, from my understanding, the reason we abandoned Bagram is because with the troop levels that they were told they would have to get us down to at that point in time, they had the choice of either securing the embassy in Kabul or Bagram Air Base. They couldn't do it both with that amount of troop deployment, so they made the choice for the embassy and the airport. It may have been the wrong choice. I don't know if that's the case or not, but at that troop level, uh, clearly they had to make a decision. But the right thing to do from a moral perspective is to get American citizens out of the country before Mm -hmm. we just abandon them to this hostage crisis. The second thing, with all due respect to Russia's polling of his friends and family, uh, I, I believe that they may be right on this, that they don't understand why they're there and that they don't necessarily want us there. But nonetheless, there was an elected government in Afghanistan that we were partnered with and we were there at their behest. We were not an imperial power in that sense that we take over and we were ruling the country. And I think you would find a lot of those people who believe that that Afghan government in partnership with the United States is better than the Taliban rule that they're going to experience. You know, there's some 18 year old girl in Kabul who has only in her life known the ability to dress how she wants, more or less, go to school, to be educated, and all of that is over now. In and fact, we're just surrendering yeah. all of that as in just kind of flittering it away. And the second for America, final, final thing, for Americans, this is a strong opinion weekly held that we should get out of Afghanistan. As I, someone pointed out, I can't remember who, when you start drilling down on the question of what the situation actually is, what the trade-off is, how many mm-hmm. troops were there, right. the situation, as it had been with the minimal military casualties, the, the opinion starts to change really, really fast. So I, I think we're overlooking a lot of it. To go back to the first part, we have to get Americans out. There's no way we can proceed and not do that. On, on that note, Maybe. Eric, um, you know, uh, nearly 50% of the Afghan people are under the age of 20. So they've only known this sort of more liberated society, even as they do operate in tribal areas and and with tribal understanding, they still do have women going to school. They're able to pursue careers. They actually have increased their social standing. And you've seen some liberation in that respect. I mean, I think that I think that I hope that uh, and I personally feel that freedom is an innate aspect of many people and you can't get rid of it so easily so i'm hopeful i'm very hopeful that there will be a countermeasure to to take this on in the future and that the afghan people will find their own path to freedom going forward i why why wouldn't why wouldn't then genie why wouldn't the taliban want to get those people get the hell out of the country let them go i mean if people don't want to be there it seems to me they could be part of an opposition so why do they want to keep the opposition there? I would think that the Taliban would say, bring in more planes. Let's get more people out of here. Well, we're not, ca- we're we're not, not taking 40 head. million people no, who, I, that want to come what, over what to I'm saying, what I'm, for freedom. I'm, I'm saying if I'm the Taliban, do I, do, I want to, do I want to engage in activity that's going to make me look bad already? They already look bad. Allegedly, they say they want to play nice. We don't. Nobody believes that. Nobody does. But why would why why would you want to fight to keep people in the country that don't want to be in that country? I would say get the, get out, go, 
We got Americans. They got planes here. They're they also some of the smarter people in the country. Let's face it. They run the hospital systems. They run the school systems that they do have. And I think that they they understand that it's you know that they need them as well. Tyrants are afraid of smart people. That would be my point. Go ahead. Well, there's a Rush. sad truth: is that we understand freedom, and when we talk about women advancement, we can talk about that, and we're all on the same page. But the sad truth is, in Afghanistan, they have a completely different ideology of how to live and the way they think. And believe it or not, this is not, uh, as a Muslim American, I can tell you, it is not an Islamic way of view. It is the culture as to how they go upon their life. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, leading before, of course, the attacks, um, what we saw when the Taliban took the streets, we saw a lot of peace and calm because there is a good majority of people in Afghanistan that recognize them as the government. And, and now when we go into the tribes of different towns and so on and so forth, they have their own tribal government. So what I'm saying is there's a reason why the people that we're seeing, rightfully so, that are terrified and want to leave and we should help them, are the ones that were either working with the government or believe in the democracy that we believe in and we should give them that opportunity. But I got to tell but you, folks, there, there are tyrants a lot of... also take joy in punishing people but, that they yep. don't they don't like. But, but, and yeah. I think you're seeing some of that there as is well. Without question, Jeannie, tyrants no that are out there. Yeah. But I think what is and that's what makes Afghanistan so complicated. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier on, how different countries have tried to come in, invade or try and build this government. And they always go nowhere because they don't want to go nowhere. And I think the yeah. United States finally figured that out with all the money and all the soldiers and all the, the might that we possessed in the last 20 years. We got not a zero outcome. We got a negative outcome. Are you surprised that so many of the uh, uh, military dropped their guns and, and ran away, Jeannie? Did you think it would last longer than 11 days? Well, fortunately, there's still some resistance happening sort of to the northeast section of Kabul. There's a, it takes leadership. And when they saw that the Americans had abandoned Bagram and then they saw that their president fled, they, they saw the writing on the wall. And they right. knew that they depended on that American support and that support was not going to be there. What are they to do? I'm not surprised. Okay. On that note, Jeannie Ives, thanks very much for being with us in hour number one. And uh, Rush Darwich, thank you very much for being with us. You'll be continuing in hour number two. Eric Cohn, we will say farewell to you, but thank you very much for offering your libertarian perspective from the great state of Michigan. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly with another hour. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man. 
You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back in hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us. 1-800-723-8289. Jeannie Ives and Rush Darwish join us in studio at uh, WYND in Chicago for our Beyond the Beltway broadcast this evening. And we now join us via Zoom, or joined by Zoom, by Reverend uh, Keith Draper. Uh, he is uh, in the Chicagoland area, and he is with World Relief. He heads the Chicagoland effort, and he is part of the uh, the huge apparatus that is trying to deal with the issue of refugees uh, in Afghanistan. And uh, Reverend Draper, thank you for joining us on Beyond the Beltway this evening. Thanks for having me on, Bruce. I'd like to begin by asking some really basic questions, and I know my guests in studio want to join me uh, in this interview, and that is, uh, what is the current communication between your organization and uh, the State Department, the Defense Department, or who do you deal with uh, at government to uh, deal with some of the refugees' issues that uh, we're dealing with uh, as a nation? It's actually an interagency work that we connect with. Um, we meet with the State Department about people who have completed vetting and screening to come to this country, um, but they've been through multi-agency vetting with uh, Homeland Security and with State Department, other agencies, FBI, trying to work through, uh, are these people uh, able to come to our country? Do they meet the qualifications? Um, so all of that's involved, but even before then, the United Nations has a part in the designation of someone as a refugee or special status, and then they're part of that interview screening that happens with them before there are even countries that are involved like the United States. So when you meet a refugee, they have already gone through 
several layers of vetting and and you know that the name on the list that you're working on is someone that is a bona fide refugee ready to come to the United States? Yes, that that process can take 24 to 36 months on average for a refugee to come to this country. What's also um, interesting as we're thinking about this now is the every year the president makes the presidential determination of how many people will come and also there are set amounts from certain regions Um, and so with the level at 62,500 and certain regions already um, you know filled in terms of what could be offered we're probably only talking about 4,000 positions open in the refugee status at least until October 1 when the, the new calendar would begin for the government. And at, at this point, then, those anything over 4,000 refugees, uh, they would not be brought into the United States. They would be brought into other countries that are receptible to them? For refugees, um, right. we certainly are seeing displaced people in some unique ways right now in Afghanistan um, that, that really challenge all of us to step up and do what we can to help. Um, Since 2009, there's been the special immigrant visa um, that's been made available to people who served our troops that were in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And so that's some of who we're working through right now are those people who have been evacuated that already had been through screenings because they served our government and our troops. So they had special status already, Um, but there's further processing that takes place for them. And those are some of the people that we're already beginning to receive right now. So just drawing that distinction there between a refugee, as we would normally work through them, and uh, special immigrant visas of people who are arriving here in, in a very unique situation. For those who are watching these horrible pictures on television about people literally, you know, risking their lives to get out of Afghanistan, um, how does the average person, or, or, or my question to you is, how do you deal with that population of people versus uh, people from Haiti that may be seeking refugees a status, people from uh, mm-hmm. Central America that might be seeking status? I mean, the, it's this huge number of people. How do you go about determining who is likely to get in and who is not, and how do you create your priority list yeah i would say we're not really a part of making those decisions the united nations determines if someone's a refugee and certainly with uh, special immigrant visas or these kinds of unique circumstances those are happening within governmental realms Uh, really our role is to be willing to say yes and there are nine agencies that the u.s government contracts with we're one of those nine that says um you know, once you've completed those processes for people to come, we're ready to help. And what we've been doing now is really rebuilding. Um, but we have a long history of this work. We've been at this for over 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that 40 years, over half of those years are working with Afghanis. So 20 years of relationship, mm-hmm. probably at least 500 uh, that we've resettled here through the years over the past 20 years into Chicago land. Um, we have 16 offices across the United States, so we have people, uh, probably our largest concentration in Sacramento, but uh, mm-hmm. you've had 
Seattle, Portland on. We've had people uh, in those settings as well. So we we really resettle people really all over the United States. And I represent the Chicago office. Chicago who are you? Office. Who are you looking for? What type of person are you looking for to say yes? I want to welcome a refugee to my home. Probably the biggest thing that we're looking at when someone comes to this country is uh, where are their family ties? Like, do they have any tie to the country? Um, because those are part of the uh, support that they're going to need for their adjustments. Uh, in addition to that, though, where where do we have populations of people where the language could be um, help them within that adjustment? So as we look at people groups, um, we're looking at over 750 that would be resettled currently on the docket for us. And those are from all over the world in addition to what we're seeing right now with Afghanistan. Um, so in all of those settings, we're really looking at what kinds of ties are in place already and what language skills are in place. Um, and then we basically provide those supports of so you would think about someone who's been forcibly displaced. What do they need to start life over? And uh, we do that with a big community of of support, the support of community partners, the support of churches, the support of uh, multi-faith organizations, other uh, faiths that have helped and supported our work, and then individuals who give to to support what we do. Are there are there geographic locations in the United States right now that are more likely to be able to accept? an Afghan refugee than others. You mentioned Sacramento and Spokane and a few other places. Mm -hmm. You have offices there, but are those regions of the country that uh, maybe have more people that, that, that speak the language? Yeah, certainly when there's more commonality to that area, that's certainly going to be a consideration. Um, I think one of the other things that plays in here though is certainly what is the capacity of the organization or organizations that are working to do that. Most of those areas that we work with, there are multiple agencies that are working there. Uh, as I mentioned, there are nine agencies that do this work. So we're one of the nine in that effort. So uh, the State Department really meets with us to try to make those decisions about where people are going to be placed. And as I've said, our, our responsibility is to be able to say yes and help where we can. Reverend Draper, and we, we do, do have to a big family to support. We do have to pause right now. When we come back, Jeannie Ives and uh, Rush okay. Darwish, they have questions for you as well as our phone callers. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't okay. go away. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. 
Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway. And Ginny Ives, you have some uh, questions for uh, Reverend Draper. Hey, nice to speak with you, Reverend Draper. Um, you know, I've got a good family friend who has an SIV uh, immigrant visa. And um, I, there, I think there's a, a little bit of a disconnect here. So you can be a refugee, and then you can have one of these visas, which means you're, you, you, you're sort of a refugee, but you have special status because there's a sort of metrics that you have to pass through. You know, two years minimum service typically with the Americans. You have to have uh, approval from the chief of the mission. You have got, you've got to have all this vetting done to you. It's, it's different than your typical refugee, even though your refugee process does usually take two years. Isn't that correct? That's correct. Yeah, that's why I wanted to just draw that distinction because we've been talking a lot about people who are being evacuated. And I think really this first wave of what we see being evacuated right now are many of those in that special immigrant visa, visa status. Um, I also, I think, just want to mention, too, that um, coming into this role, I really come at this not really from a political background, but really as a minister of 35 years in the Chicagoland area, seeing families uh, who were displaced and trying to help them start life again. So really, I come at this strictly from a humanitarian perspective. Um, and so I, I feel like when Rush mentioned that he's the rookie of this group, I, I think the honeymoon's over, and I'm actually <laughs> the newest rookie yes, you are. in this conversation. <laughs> so I appreciate you guys 
uh, helping me ease into this. How do you well, respond to to those that that say they look at these pictures and they say, you know, this is horrible. Uh, this hurricane, we're going to hear see stories of people, you know, out of their homes in the hurricanes, and we're going to read about Haiti. Uh, we're going to see all these pictures, but. When is enough enough for the United States? When when do we just say, listen, we can't take all the people of the world that may want to come here, even though their uh, their thoughts and the reasons for coming here are valid? What's your what what's the response to that, Minister? Well, certainly, you know, as a minister, I think we'd want to help any way we can with as many as we can. But I think we have a unique situation that we're dealing with in Afghanistan. We we actually have an office in Haiti, and we have boots on the ground there working with, um, I think, around 20 agencies that are trying to serve that setting right now. But in this case, we're really talking about people that served our country uh, that are allies of us. And that's a very unique situation that I think we're trying to deal with a very credible threat of their life. Um, and survival for them, but we certainly understand, um, you know, there are a lot of needs around the world right now, and so where do we prioritize? And for us, um, we are a longstanding refugee agency, and that's a contract we have with the government, but we're very committed to doing that work, and yet World Relief is an organization that is around 25 countries of the world and 16 offices here in the U.S., well, you bring so up a- we do step into these other things as needed. So, Reverend Draper, you bring up a good point. You, you bring up a good point here. There are usually the the vetting for the refugees is done at a refugee camp, and that is typically overseas. And my understanding is they don't always get to choose where they're going to be able to be placed. An SIV refugee, however, has almost like their golden ticket to the U.S. if they want to pull the ticket and do it. They don't always have to do it, um, but. That said, we now, it appears to be, have piled many uh, folks onto these cargo planes and, and brought them over. We're essentially setting up refugee camps prior to vetting them here in the United States. I think this is unique and unusual. And again, you have no say at all uh, in how they're vetted. You're just given a list of refugees that have qualified and then you place them. Is that what's happening at the military basis? Some of the people that are going to the U.S. military bases, Fort Hood being one, and uh, Camp Riley up in Wisconsin, that these are people that uh, are not fully vetted. They're not fully vetted. Well, I don't see how you could unless they actually have an SIV form themselves, a chief of mission approval, or the the golden ticket also is a DOD badge, which is very, very helpful to them getting immediate um, access to, to this type of thing. But uh, as my Iraqi friend said, there were lots and lots of false claims of having worked with the Americans when mm-hmm. they, in fact, did not. Russia's got a question for you, Reverend. Reverend Draper, you and I could definitely have sure. a conversation of who's the bigger rookie. Trust me, I will I will win that battle. Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. Uh, after my congressional run, um, you know, Donald Trump did inspire me. Uh, he inspired me to start an organization that works with refugees. And one of the reasons is because uh, I guess I would label them Donald Trump and Republicans who support Donald Trump fully uh, created a narrative that, Republi- uh, that re- refugees... Um, they bunch him in with people who are trying to come into the border illegally. They kind of bunch him in all in together that they're coming into our country. They're taking our jobs. Uh, they're almost like a threat to the people who live in the United States. Uh, what's your take on that? And does your agency deal with a backlash 
of people who criticize refugees almost in a sense that they're being racist, uh, that they're coming into this country and taking over. How do you handle that narrative in your agency? There's definitely um, a segment of population that has concerns, and that's why I think it's clear it's important for us to be clear about vetting with them. But when I think about areas where we're impacting other parts of society, it's interesting to me to see how much of a coalition we find of support. Um, our employment team uh, works with helping people find those initial jobs and even upgrading the jobs and moving more into their career background. And right now we have great demand from businesses that would like mm -hmm. to employ the people that we are bringing. Mm -hmm. um, so we do have segments of society that are very anxious to have us come. Um, we have good reputation over these years of working with, you know, apartment owners uh, who say, hey, the folks that you work with do pay their rent. They are people who are responsible. Mm -hmm. They aren't the ones that are creating the trouble in our apartment complexes. And those are people that we build relationships with and have over these 40 years now. Um, so I, I do think there is a challenge in it. Uh, I think one of the reasons that we as an organization really work with faith-based communities and particularly the churches that partner with us um, is that that builds a measure of trust. Those are people who do come from conservative backgrounds in many of those cases and yet really want to help people who have been displaced because that's part of what their faith teaches. Well, we have that in our in our situation. Uh, you know, I'm from Wheaton, right in your area, very familiar with World Relief. Mm -hmm. They are a, very much a presence in our community. And uh, our, my particular church has a huge Burmese refugee uh, population. Um, I'd like to also point out, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar, you're familiar with Farah Ahmedi and her story and the memoir that she published, The mm -hmm. Other Side of the Sky, mm -hmm. about her time in Afghanistan. So, and mm -hmm. she's a Wheaton North graduate. So we, we're very much used to this in our area. And I think that that is missed by a lot of people on the left in this state, particularly, that they don't understand how, how integrated they really are in um, at least where I'm from. There also doesn't seem to be... Uh, now, we've uh, seen really broad bipartisan support for our work, which has been great through these years. Um, under Democrat and Republican, we've seen great support for what we do. Um, and we're committed to keeping those relationships and worked you know, across the aisle on all these issues. Mm -hmm. uh, here's a question, and this may sound like a very simplistic uh, response, but this is one thing that I have always thought about because you mentioned that you want to you want to bring groups, large groups, to the United States. You want them to at least be able to integrate and get along with each other. They have to eventually, hopefully, assimilate into the American population. But initially, they've got to be able to understand their neighbors. They have to this 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 dramatic cultural shock between coming from the hills of Afghanistan into an urban area like like you know Sacramento, California. But I'm wondering, uh, since they at least the perception is that many of them are coming from agricultural, uh, rural, um, geographically diverse. Uh, backgrounds in Afghanistan, at least that's the perception that I think people have of many refugees. I'm wondering if, if a state like Montana, a state that has a lot of room, that a state like Montana with obviously a lot of federal help and a lot of coordination and a lot of social services built into it, 
whether or not there would be a, 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 an area in a state like Montana to take in, you know, 40 or 50,000. I mean, it would probably be the largest city in Montana, certainly at that number. But I'm wondering whether that becomes almost a, 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 an, an incubator of how you might be able to bring large numbers of people to the United States where they all know the language, and then you have outside tutors, part of a long-term federal government program that tries to then assimilate them into the American way of life, and you tie into that uh, businesses and the, and the commercial people who are looking for workers who are reliable, and again, you set those, uh, those, uh, those businesses up uh, in a place like Montana. Is that just... Is that is that Pollyanna thinking on my part, Reverend? I would say um, it sounds like you ought to start a resettlement agency, Bruce. I mean, okay. <laughs> uh, that's certainly what we do, um, and we do that all over the country. Some of those are more rural areas. Some are more city. Um, for us, one of those key factors is really do we have uh, the support to do the work in the setting, and do we have the services that are necessary? So you've hit on several of those cylinders that are really important for resettlement work to take place. Yeah. We wouldn't do the work that we do if we didn't have really a, right. a great uh, community of volunteers from well. churches and community partners who volunteer their time and energy. Um, if we didn't have the support, yeah. uh, donor support of those churches and individuals, right. Uh, the school districts here. I, I yes. can't tell you yes. how many school different districts. churches I wanna, I'm in. I, I want to come back and I want to. I want to. I want to uh, talk. I want to so much. I want to talk about that, and also I want to talk about just the. Uh, you know, as you say, uh, a lot of people want to help, but then they'll say, "Well, not in my backyard." And I'm just saying is that, given the political yeah. politics uh, and background of Montana, maybe they would say yes. Back shortly. One forty five over ninety two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty two over a hundred. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers 
have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Roostermont back, and uh, the idea of beginning a career in resettlement of refugees, I don't think at my age is going to likely happen, so maybe we put that under Pollyanna thinking, Reverend. Uh, but again, it would also get back to uh, what a lot of people in this country feel, and they, you know, they would like to help, but they, it's not in my neighborhood. They, they, they don't want to do it for themselves. And again, you've got, uh, and again, you have a unique situation here is, is you don't, you have a language, obviously the interpreters may know English, but their native languages are not, it's not like Spanish and German. I mean, these are very unique, hard to understand and learn languages. Uh, and again, uh, you're not likely to find them, you know, on a, on a public train in, in Spokane or, or Seattle, Washington, where, where uh, there's also one of your offices I know is out in Spokane, Washington. Johnny from El Paso, Texas, has joined the conversation this evening. Johnny, go ahead. You're on Beyond the Beltway. Yes, good afternoon. I wanted to quick tell on something you said a, a little while ago about uh, the different situation we have going on here in our country. You know, the Louisiana uh, storm that's impending, also the Haitian people that's having problems. But also, I'm looking at what's going on here in our own country. You know, uh, we've we got the people facing eviction. And I'm hearing that uh, the people from Afghanistan helped us. So that that's all good, too. But we have veterans. So we anywhere from 10 to 20 years is facing eviction out of their houses. Now, we serve our country more than our own U.S. citizen veterans. So I wish our government, I know the gentleman you have in the desk is not part of that situation, but I just think that our government needs to prioritize things, take care of home first, and then worry about helping the rest of the world. One other thing, we got the people coming down here in El Paso right now from Afghanistan. Now, we're looking at one of the people on TV today was trying to figure out, they're trying to support you know, support them, but they're already talking about the dress they're going to be giving them, you know, they can't give them anything but pants and jeans and stuff because the women understand that they don't wear jackets and things like that. But anyway... That's another thing. Johnny, Johnny, stay stay on the line. You have have an interesting perspective. Stay on the line. I want Reverend Draper to sort of uh, address that, but I think it's something uh, you're not alone in in your thoughts on this, and uh, I thank you for calling. But go ahead, Reverend, Uh, your your reaction to that. Johnny, I really appreciate your calling in on this because uh, I am the son of a veteran, and 
really and know the perspectives of my family and this and the challenges that were there. Um, I, I think when you think about refugee populations, sometimes we, or even people that have served our military, that there's some disconnect there. And what I've really seen is that veterans very much support what we're doing. You know, they care about the people that served them, that helped in translation, that worked alongside them, and they right. feel like we should be offering them the support that we promised to help them that are, you know, if they put themselves in harm's way to help our troops, that we should be trying to help them in this time. Uh, if we say we're going to do that, let our yes be yes and our no be no. Um, but I think, you know, the veterans certainly have been supportive uh, in large measure of helping people who've assisted our troops. I think that veterans don't get enough support, don't get enough care, and completely agree with the need to support our veterans. And I especially feel as uh, we think about the losses of what has happened in Afghanistan, um, you know, read those stories today of the 13 people who died over there. And so I, I feel like we need to think about all of those that are involved here and how do we support and care for people. Um, as a minister, that's definitely my perspective. World Relief's position is to help those who are in hard places and in many places around the world. We're not just working with refugee populations. We're working with people who don't have sufficient food or medical care or needs for uh, women and children within countries. So we definitely work in a broader way um, but the veteran needs, I, I agree, are great. And I appreciate how much they've gotten behind what we're looking at doing mm -hmm. here with Afghanistan. Yeah, some of the, uh, you're involved, uh, Jeannie. Johnny, thank you very much uh, for your call. I really do appreciate yeah. it. And I think the one thing that, that I think we're, we're likely to see is uh, th there's going to be uh, this fight for the, for the heart and the, the sympathy of the American voter or the American citizen because on one hand, maybe they want to bend over backwards to help the Afghanis because they were helping the United States. So there, there's a special uh, commitment that many feel that, that they would have with this family. We have a where, long history where, of this, though, Bruce. Right, but, but again, they, on the other hand, if it's, if it's someone who's sneaking into the country mm -hmm. from Honduras or Guatemala because they need, because they're, they're, they're running against the tyrants in their neighbor, in their in their country, uh, somehow they're sneaking into the country, whereas the people from Afghanistan are coming in with SIV passports. But they're not all coming in with SIV passports. No. It doesn't feel that way at all. Uh, we don't. But you say that's like a gold standard. That is, that's the gold okay. standard. But it doesn't appear that everybody who's who right. we've already taken out 110,000 folks. Uh, all have that but they're viewed standard. my point is that they're viewed differently yes a hundred percent they're viewed differently but we've always been a generous nation remember the number of refugees that we took in from the Vietnam era as well right. so and we've Cuba. always been a generous nation we we don't oh ex unless you're Joe Biden and you t you tell the Cubans that they need to go back which he did just recently uh, that when they were fleeing that country so I mean you've got different administrations are, are we really Jeannie with are we really gonna bring up Anything oh, about so. Joe Biden comparing to Donald Trump, who called oh, people crossing goodness. rapist killers, and so he was on and not so forth. Correct about that. There's but, an MS-13 there infiltrating there, there, the southern border okay. all there, the time. There might okay. be, but they're, they're <laughs> the, the small minority versus and the people that are that are escaping back, persecution. And back to yeah, Afghanistan. So I still don't want them in the country either. 
So there you go. But again, going back, I mean, you, the veterans uh, that have formed some of these groups to get uh, their former buddies and interpreters out, you're involved with, with one mm-hmm. of the groups or so your sons are? So my sons uh, t- told me about this this group, and so I joined. I haven't done anything with them yet, but it's called Air, Air, Allied Airlift 21, and it started out really by a group of West Pointers who wanted to get their Afghani classmates out. And so they have figured out a way to upload the documents and verify who they are, and they found people that will vet them in the United States and go through those documents. And then they set them up with somebody who is over in Afghanistan right now, giving them safe passage routes to get to the airport. Of course, all that is being shut down now. Now they're looking at safe passage over land. How do you do it that way instead, which is a very treacherous journey, as you can well imagine, uh, given the terrain of Afghanistan. So uh, but this is something the veterans started. Of course, you know, we know that the veterans have already special forces have secretly rescued hundreds of uh, members of Afghanistan special forces. These are people that they made a personal promise to that we will be there to Mm -hmm. to help you out when we we are in need. These are the first people we need to get out. These are the people Joe Biden is at risk of leaving behind by his hurried um, evacuation and and it's uh, it's just dreadful. Since we know that the United States let me, has let me say into that, ahead. Bruce, Go ahead. for a minute too. Go I ahead. think we have certainly been a, an advocate for those evacuations happening back months ago, and we 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 don't like the fact that we're put in the position that we're in with this right now. But we've wanted to see this happen for many months, and we've been rebuilding uh, our resettlement efforts, our work with helping people who are displaced start over. And we've also been an advocate for other locations for them to go temporarily. Guam has been one of those places that we've talked about as a place where people could be processed. Um, You know, I think because of this being as it is, um, last moment, feeling like it's last moment, uh, we've, we've really had to bring people to military bases to try to do some of this work that quite honestly could have been done in a more um, you know, steadied way in other places earlier in time. But this is where we are, and we can't really, as you mentioned earlier in the earlier hour, uh, we can't really look back at history on it. We've got to figure out what we're going to do now, was and it, we're committed to being here now for them. Reverend, was it, was it was the process you're describing that you wanted to happen months ago was it slowed down by the defense department the state department some other department that you deal with or is it a is just it's a it's is it a collective government slowness to react to uh, uh, situations on the ground it's an enigma I have no idea I wish I could tell you why um, but I think because it was not dealt with months ago that's why we're in the situation we're in right now Mm-hmm. And so we have advocated for it for quite a time, but I don't know why there's been delays. Rush? There's no doubt we have to talk about what happened and what is happening right now in Kabul. No no ifs, ands, or buts, but to go back mm-hmm. to the refugees and what to do with them. All I could say is the area I'm from, from the southwest suburbs of Chicago, uh, you have a large pocket of Syrian refugees, Palestinian, and Yemenis. <laughs> and... One thing I will tell you, they will open up your eyes and open up your heart in terms of why they are here and what they want to accomplish. Uh, we, a couple years ago, the Arab American Business Professional Association, we participated in a job fair. And when you hear their stories and they're coming up to you, uh, a lot of them were doctors, engineers, lawyers. But when they came to your booth <laughs> looking for work, 
They didn't say, hey, where, where could I be a doctor? Where could I be a lawyer? Yeah. No, they said, put me to work. What opportunity is, is there a restaurant that's hiring? And, and, and I know that there's a lot of people who feel like they don't want to welcome refugees. But the reality is most refugees who come to the United States, they know where they're at. You know, a lot of them want to learn English and a lot of them want work to support their family. They come to this country with nothing. So um, on that, I completely agree with yeah. you, the Iraqi gentleman that we know. And they saved an American soldier. So they got the. That they and then they started to work with the American military. His wife is a doctor. He's an engineer. Very had multiple companies in Iraq. Very successful, uh, and you know they just want to come here for American freedom. And he is uh, set to get his citizenship next Wednesday, and um, so we're happy about that. Mm, okay. When we come back, we'll talk more. We've got only one segment left, and I have some advice for conservatives. If you're a conservative. Listening to this broadcast this evening, I have a very specific political suggestion for you. Don't go away. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry. We're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, <laughs> tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. 
Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back will be to Joy, listening to us in Spokane, Washington. But I said before the break, if you are a conservative, you may want to listen to what I have to say. Obviously, there's a lot of conservatives in this country that are very upset about politically what's happening. It might be related to Donald Trump. It may not be related to Donald Trump. It, it could be exacerbated by your feelings based on uh, President Biden's handling of what's happening in Afghanistan. You may not like Speaker Pelosi. Whatever it is, you are absolutely furious, and yet uh, you're somewhat part of that frustration is that you may you've got to wait until 2024 to vote for president again or you have to wait to 2022 to vote your congressman in or out depending on 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 where they are politically and so you're frustrated you may you may be there you may be talking back or throwing things at, at fox television uh as you as you watch some of their shows and and i came up with a thought last week uh and, and here it is the one thing that would absolutely shock all liberals, it would shock every member of the media, it would be if Gavin Newsom lost yes. the recall in California and Larry Elder emerged as the next governor of California. A conservative African-American radio talk show on this station and on a lot of Salem stations around the country. They're not telling me to say this. Neither is Larry. It's all by myself. Because a lot of times people are so furious, they don't know a single thing to do. They have to be told specifically, well, what can I do to really make a difference? If everyone, if every conservative in America wrote a $10 check, just a $10 check, and sent it to Larry Elder in the next week or so, the amount, that amount of money, in my view, and by the way, the recent polls suggest yeah. that Larry Elder is on the cusp <laughs> of being a Republican elected That's in awesome. the most Democratic, progressive state in the Union. This is within the realm of possibility. So if he woke up one day and he had 20 or $30 million extra to pour into money, the reaction from the Democratic establishment. Can you imagine Speaker Pelosi? Can you imagine the president? Can you imagine any any media person, any anyone that's on the major networks? Martha Raddatz. Can you imagine her responding or reacting? Yeah, if Larry just like Elder. When, yeah, it'd be just like when uh, Trump won. Yes, <laughs> it would be. Oh, only, only. I think it would even be tenfold because it would be in the most progressive state. It would throw out a progressive governor who many people, including Democrats, think has done a horrible job. This is about inefficiency. That's why so many people want to get rid of him. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you have to, yeah. you don't have to create reasons why people may want to get rid of the governor. So you vote no, you don't want the governor returned, and then you've got one other choice. 
You've got about 32 Republicans that are running. The only one that appears to be doing well at the moment, or literally on the cusp, is Larry Elder. So if you're a conservative, yes, send Larry Elder $10 tonight. If you want to send him more, go ahead. And in the wake of all of what's happening in Afghanistan, what are the top Democrats doing? They're going to California to, to campaign for Gavin Newsom. To save him. Rather and keeping their eye on the ball and extracting our Americans who are in harm's way in Afghanistan it is despicable. But that's One not thing, just a though, Democratic thing. No, no, that Republicans no, no, are no, no better. You don't do they, this they are when all, you are in crisis. We, we, just, we talked oh about this earlier heavens. in the show. Politi politicians always oh do that. They always put fundraising. Um, they, it's a, it, it, there's political and propaganda on both sides. if a Republican were sides. doing this, I would be bashing them just as and, much. And, and likewise, gotta, I don't and, agree and, with uh, this either, but Russia to say that it's democratic, agree come on. on. Though, the one thing Russia and I will agree on is that money matters in a race. It, and it, money does it matters a lot, but, it, but it's, and it's, it's both ways that it matters. And if, well, if we Larry can, Elder's obviously, way outspent. And a couple of million people sending uh, $10. Yes. Would make uh, in the closing weeks well, or days of the I'm going to hold off on the yeah, I know you're going right to hold on that, saying, but I'm just saying is, you know, again, if you well, want to... Maybe one Jeannie, other solution could be... Jeannie's doing a donation right, 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 right now. Reverend Draper, Reverend Draper, Reverend Draper, go ahead. Go ahead, Reverend. All of the people that we're trying to work with come to this country. Maybe people could be stepping in to help in that in some way, too, because this is a mess of our making, and these are people whose lives have been totally destroyed and are starting life all over again because of our actions. So what can we do to help them? I think that's also, uh, I, I know this is a political discussion and you guys are in the midst of it, but I, I don't yeah. want us to lose sight. No, no, you're absolutely no, by, right, by, and, by the way, you, send, I, I would say send an extra 10 or $20 to world uh, relief as well. There we go. Because, because everyone, you don't have to be a, a Republican, a Democrat, and that's for everybody. If, if, if we really want to help these refugees coming back, we can do it. And, and by golly, if we end up with an African-American conservative Republican governor of New York, that will get everybody's attention. Uh, and additionally, Reverend Draper did not go into the finances, but it's my understanding that you only you only actually have enough funds to help these refugees out for a finite amount of time. And it's only a few months. And then they are expected to get to get a job and start to work on their own. And at the same time, though, it, it, we are supporting them. They you know, the school systems are very good about making sure that these these uh, refugees get a good start and they take special care with them to integrate them into uh, the society. But again, they have so much to learn on That's that. That's why public right. partnerships really helpful, though, because we certainly do have public dollars that are limited toward this. Limited. But we have private dollars from donors and churches and individuals who really support what we do. And that's what makes it possible to do longer than those few months. And mo most of what we look at are the milestones, not the timelines, mm -hmm. like helping them get to a place of sufficiency, moving from just, uh, you know, Thri uh, surviving to thriving in their work and people give not only financially they give in kind i mean we have people who give gift cards uh, certainly housing helping people find housing they pay their own housing costs but uh, what do we do to furnish that so household goods are a great need uh, volunteers mm -hmm. who will help with getting people from airports and setting up those apartments people who would be willing to help uh, tutor in english all of those things, although these SIVs would probably not need that care, 
Um, these are some of the basic things that we provide for families that are arriving. And again, if people want to contribute there, they can go to World Relief. They can definitely find that on the internet. World Relief, they can make a contribution for a very important issue. It's going to be around a long time. We could be talking about this virtually every week in the future. Uh, we will periodically, but not every week. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.